and welcome to this week's episode of the Stephen Perkins Podcast. My name is Stephen Perkins, Editor-in-Chief of the Outset Network, and this, you guessed it, is my podcast. Uh, this is the show where, if you've been listening for a while, you know this, you can skip the intro like this is Netflix. But if you're new, this is the podcast where I speak to who I consider to be the emerging leaders in conservative political activism, uh, media, business, and other niche areas that fit within that kind of general mold. And this week is no exception. I'm speaking with Benjamin Green, who is the host of a show right here on the Outset Network called Second Look with Benjamin Green. And this show originally, he started this show originally in 2015, and he's now brought it back. And I, I know that I am so happy that he has. And I'm sure if you listen to the show, then uh, you are as well. And if you're a new listener to his show, or if you haven't gone and listened yet, go and do that. Uh, it's a great show. Uh, Binge is a great guy. And I'm just really excited for you to hear kind of his background and what got him involved in politics. And really, we have a great discussion about what does it mean to have an integrated life where your political and personal and faith and all those different perspectives are merged into one and have this really beautiful balance. Um, And so anyways, that's a long intro, but this is my episode with Benjamin Green. Please enjoy. Benjamin, thanks so much for being on my show this week. How are you? Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I was just, uh, I was telling you before we started recording, I was listening to the last podcast we did together, uh, which was in 2015, Ah, the summer of 2015, before we had like a front runner in the, in the Republican primary before we had the two candidates for president. Um, and now the world has changed in two years. Yes. Uh, I mean, some would say for the worse, but some would say there's some good things as well. Um, and I, I suppose we'll get into some of that, but, um, I'm excited to have you on this iteration of, of the show because we've changed as well here, um, and now diving into kind of the backstory behind the people who I think are important within conservative politics and media and business and all that good stuff. Um, you are the host of a little show on Outset called Second Look, um, which Ooh. is actually it's now revived. It, it was back in 2015. You, you had it and now uh, now it's back on Um how back from the dead that's right we're a couple of weeks into the new season um i want to start off by just saying how's that show been how i have um i have really really been enjoying bring it bringing it back i i knew i was ready to bring it back um but i have been enjoying it even more than i expected uh I I've been very pleasantly surprised in that regard. Cool. Uh, I I've enjoyed it too. It will talk a little bit whenever we talk about kind of your purpose or your mission and your life and all that, like why the name second look and things of that nature. Um, but as I do with everybody that I've been interviewing, I want to take it way back and talk about you as a child. So let's start off with where were you raised? Um, and we'll go from there. I was raised uh, in the middle of the Sonoran Desert. I, I actually did live for one year of my life in Fort Worth, Texas, but 
that was when I was two years old. So, so you know that doesn't count it, yeah. for anything. Right. What is um, the, what's the name of the desert? How do you spell that? I, Sonoran Desert. S-O-N-O-R-A-N. I'm from a, a town. We pronounce it Casa Grande. It's spelled Casa Grande. Um, but but uh, it's named after some old Native American ruins that are actually in a different town called Coolidge but that's another story I I we my family moved here when I was not quite four years old and I I grew up all the way straight through uh went off to college just like 60 miles south of here the University of Arizona and after graduation moved back so now I'm back in Casa Grande so very nice um what were your parents like and and kind of what was their I guess parenting style with you and and how was how would all that go? Ah, uh, I so I I am the youngest of five kids. Oh, um, wow. We're we're <laughs> and you know my my parents always said that they wanted a big family, but God only allowed them to have five. Uh, we we. We are a big family, and and we have a lot of fun. But um, my parents, I I love my parents. I have a great relationship with both of them. They raised me um, to serve God, to honor God. They raised me to to pursue passions, especially um, growing up music. Uh, I have played the piano since I was four years old. It's one of my favorite things to do. And my parents always encouraged me in that. And they also pushed me to excel academically, um, which I did in some ways and and not so much in others. But I, I really appreciate most of all that the, their heart for wanting me to serve God. I think that more than anything else, that was what they wanted. And um, even... I mean, you know, teenage years, everyone has their disagreements with their parents, but I, I, I always knew that that was what they wanted me to do. That was what they wanted for me. So were they politically active at all? Politically? Um, well, that depends on, did they go knock on doors? Um, no, actually, I think my, so my grandpa was actually in the state legislature for a while this was before I was born, but but my I think my dad might have helped with his campaign, with his dad's campaign. I don't I don't know that for sure. But when I was growing up, they like were they knocking on doors? No, but they voted in every election, even the minor city elections. Um, they watched the news. They always knew what was happening and um it encouraged us to do the same basically when when we were adults talked about why it was important to vote and stuff my dad always took me to the uh to the polling place with him uh yeah. did did your parents take all five of you to the to, to the voting booth uh well they usually went during the school day so gotcha. it would be it would be just me um un, until i went to kindergarten but yeah yeah my mom t- I, th- I think I remember going mostly with my mom. I might have gone with my dad once or twice. But actually, in our town, I don't know if this was everywhere, if this was just here, but for a while we had a little, like, kids voting thing where, like, if you went with your parent to the 
to the polling place, they would give you like a mock ballot and you would get to vote and put it in. And, and they did that with us. I remember doing that with my older siblings because my brother wrote in Mickey Mouse for president. <laughs> I, um, yeah, but, but yeah, they, they always, you know, made a, made a big deal about doing civic duty. They were not the type to dodge jury duty. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. So what, uh, what would you say growing up? When, when was that point that, that you started to learn about politics or got somewhat involved? Was that high school? Was that not until college? When, when was that time frame? So I think like, like many people about our age, the first real election that I started tracking was the 2008 presidential election, Obama McCain. Um, I, I have been interested in elections themselves for as long as I can remember. I actually, I remember, I didn't stay up all night because that would have been ridiculous, but I remember staying up later than my bedtime the night of the 2000 2000 election when it was all crazy. And I actually... I, I might still have it somewhere. My mom saved it all these years, but I wrote a note, uh, dear former governor Bush, I'm glad you're president. And I, I wrote the wrong your and everything. Oh, I wrote great. that the next day and I wanted to send it to him, but apparently I never did. Okay. <laughs> um, so I've always been interested in elections, but it was really the, so the 2008 election, um, I tracked pretty closely. Um, and then in 2009, we took a family vacation to Washington, D.C., and it was the first time I'd ever been there, and I just totally loved everything about the city. And um, going and seeing the places where the federal government happens, like it was just really cool. We did a great tour called D.C. by Foot, I think was the name, that went around all the monuments, and... Um, and then we went to the Capitol building and that was like far and away the highlight of the trip for me. I, I loved the building. I loved just being there. I standing there and seeing, you know, that is Nancy Pelosi's office. That's the office of the speaker of the house. That was just really cool for me. And that trip is really what got me into politics. And then, you know, in college, more so but but that was the start of it for sure that's incredible i remember my first dc trip and just the sheer amount of walking that my dad and i did (laughs) just going around and and seeing different stuff yeah i agree once you're there it's like this is cool stuff um and then you have these crazy thoughts of like maybe i could work in congress and then you get older and and you see how congressmen are and you think i don't want to work in congress or (laughs) something like that i shouldn't dissuade that but 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 still you know it's it's a really cool thing um so let's talk about once you start getting into college what what did you go to school for uh you know that's a good question (laughs) i i i went to school as a pre-business major Um, I was expecting to major in business management. That was my intent. I took 19 units my first semester. Wow. And totally overworked myself, but it ended up paying off in the long run. 
And one of the classes that I took was in MIS, which is Management Information Systems. Um, and I liked that a lot. So I changed my direction from business management to that. Well, after two semesters in pre-business, I somehow reconnected with my seventh grade self. My seventh grade self, of course, being the one who wanted to go be a computer engineer. And I had the brilliant idea to change my major to electrical and computer engineering, which was, I mean, such a disaster. I, it, it was so bad. That whole semester, I was miserable. I was depressed. And I mean, I'm a happy guy. Like, look, no other way to put it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm rather chipper. I was depressed. I was getting two hours of sleep a night. I, and, and this is the semester that Meredith and I are planning our wedding. So it, it was just like a terrible semester from pretty much every metric. I feel so bad for my roommate that semester. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, and so come Christmas time, I switched my major to information science and technology, um, which was a much better fit. It's, uh, the way I like to describe it to people is it's kind of like statistics with a little bit of computery stuff programmed in. And we, we, I got a Bachelor of Science, but we were really close. They, they had a Bachelor of Science and a Bachelor of Arts, and the two overlapped a lot. And I, I just got the Bachelor of Science because that's having a semester of engineering. That's just kind of how things worked out for me. Really, uh, the Bachelor of Arts would have been a better fit. Um, and that degree would have been information science and arts as opposed to information science and technology. But so that's where I ended up. Small, small distinctions, but <laughs> make a world of difference, don't they? So were, were you uh, did you get involved in political organizations on campus? I did not. No. Not in the slightest. I I I one time went to, um, you know, the college Republicans held a fundraiser for them, their own organization, uh, at like a restaurant near campus where if you went, they would donate 50% or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I went to that. I was going to go to one um, YAF meeting. I, think, I don't remember if it was YAF or YAL. <laughs> Big difference because I know those people I know. get on you about that. I don't remember which it was to be honest. I think it was YAF, but they were bringing in um, Katie Pavlich, uh -huh. and and I was going to go hear her speak, and I didn't end up going to that, <laughs> so I didn't do anything. You tried your best, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, okay, that, that's fair enough. Um, during college i mean so how many years how many years out of college are you at? i don't remember so this december it will have been two years since i graduated okay i, w so, I graduated in december 15 gotcha um so throughout college but also before then um i'm interested in what kind of who influenced you what influenced you the most what have been some influences within your life that have been uh kind of vital to who you are now so are are we talking personal formation here? Or are we talking political formation? I'd love to hear both. Okay, so personal formation, I I mean, first and foremost, 
like that has to go to my parents. Um, they they were really involved in my life and still are. I mean, it helps that I live across town, uh, but and I actually work with my dad. But we'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> so I I I they really worked hard to have good influences um, in my life and um, at our at our local church we were full I mean chock full of good influences probably the second would have to go to um, an older couple from that church who just I mean they basically adopted me as their grandson I they 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 were the the mains was their name Jean and Jean Main and we had a blast and they would come and pick me up from school sometimes and and uh, we'd just go play games we'd talk for hours and hours and, and so they would probably be second on the list and then i mean getting you know getting older as we got into high school i've got to give the credit to to meredith who is now my wife um she really um we we met sophomore year of high school we met at church and she really encouraged me uh to take my faith seriously just by her example and um i really grew a lot as we became friends and then started dating and started dating seriously i i really grew a lot as a person and in my faith in that time so those are are probably the big three. Um, as far as political formation, um, I <sighs> it's hard to say because I've gone all over the right wing map um, as far as where where I sit. As you explained in your uh, in in a previous episode, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. I and, and and another thing that harms on political formation is I am a terrible reader. I I am reading is very very difficult for me and instead of being disciplined and doing it the way I should quite often I am just lazy and skip it. So quite often my ideas are not as informed as they should be and that's something I'm working on now and have you know been better about uh in the last year or so but i i would have to say probably if i were to name one person who has been the most influential on my politics it would have to be um my father-in-law actually we were actually friends i i was friends with him before meredith and i started dating um but he he has really always been good about i i've always known he was a non-conformist politically um but he's always been really good about asking me questions that just stick in my mind <laughs> and so so growing up you know i i knew where my parents stood politically and and they would explain what they were thinking but I never thought about it for myself per se. So I don't know if that counts as formation because they would say what they believed and why, but I never stopped to think about it. 
Hmm. And it was really when I started getting asked questions by people, um, in, including, you know, my parents. But but I, when, once I started getting asked questions and realizing that I didn't have a good answer and I needed to think about it, that was what what started me off there. I don't know if that answers your question at all, but... Uh, th- those are your influences. That makes sense. So that, okay. that answers the question. Um, let's get into a little bit about uh, your current life, your career, all, all these these big questions that, that then come with that. Um, the one that I uh, ask everybody, and, and I really I find the answers to this, for me, really interesting, because this is something that I'm very passionate about, um, which is kind of a purpose driven life. Um, what is your why? What, what, what is the mission that guides you in what you do? I, I would have to say that, um, what I wake up every day and want to, to do with my life is, um, really just to use every single minute of my time to the best possible value. Now, I believe that the best possible value for that, like, this is where uh, faith comes, weaves its way right into every aspect of my life because I believe that the best possible value that I can do with my time is to serve Jesus Christ and tell people about him and and love him more and more with each moment. But just to boil it down into one sentence, to not to not waste a single moment. Gotcha. Um, now that kind of comes into play in your show, uh, which as I mentioned, I, I'm so happy that it's back, and I, I think so are a lot of people. It, it has changed in, in two years. Your perspective on things have changed, um, and it's actually really oh, yeah. interesting. I, I think in one of the original calls I had with you is I, I said I love it because originally it was just a second look at the news, and now it's a second look at the second look. Like It's a second <laughs> look at everything that you thought you knew, um, and you're being very open about some of those transformations and uh, changes of mind that have happened. And so I guess let's just start out with uh, what do you talk about on your podcast for people who maybe haven't listened yet? So I I talk about the, the phrase that I have been using, the phrase that I like to describe it is an integrated life. Um, I, for a long time, until... Um, about the time that I, I stopped the show, so that was like, what, March 2016-ish? Yeah. Until then, I very much segmented, you know, this is my politics self, and this is my faith self, and this is my free time self, and this is my husband self. And 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 I don't know, it just kind of smacked me on the head one day about how unhealthy that is, and and in in a way it's i honestly think it's a bit dishonest um uh, and that that's kind of a strong word but but really i i was in a lot of ways trying to make myself somebody i wasn't and if that isn't dishonesty i don't really know what is so so on the show i try 
to with this reboot what i'm trying to convey is um what is possible with an integrated life when you combine your perspectives when when you stop segmenting your life because since i've made this this change in myself i i i've never looked back it's it's been so much better in every possible way so so i mean the blurb on the website i i think it says um that i'm you know exploring the possibilities of a fully integrated life um to to make a real impact on our communities and and that's very much true that like that captures it very well i i want people to be able to take the same path that i have taken and see how their life um intersects with itself naturally and so on the show really what i'm trying to share is my mindset with the goal that other people will see my mindset and do it for themselves <laughs> and what if that you, makes sense what do you think are the unhealthy side effects to not have to kind of living that fragmented life where you have kind of one perspective for politics, one perspective for your role in your family or for your role at work in your own life. What were some of those unhealthy side effects that you saw? Number one, I would say is actually um, like depression. And I use that not in the clinical sense, but in the, in the feeling of just a general feeling of dissatisfaction is maybe a better word. Um, I know that, uh, when I was doing the show the first time, there were episodes I would put out that I was really happy with, and there were episodes that I would put out that I would feel like, like, why do I even bother doing this? This was such a waste of time. Why would anybody even want to listen to this? I hate the episode, you know? Um, and 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 that was one thing, just a general dissatisfaction. Nothing felt like it, you know, clicked. Um and another is just exhaustion. It's exhausting to try and keep up with that many versions of yourself and try to keep separate, you know, what ideas fit with which sphere. And it's so much simpler and easier and more fulfilling to just be yourself. Um, yeah, and I'd say amen for that. Yeah. Yeah. What? Why do you think? And it, it, these kind of questions are always kind of like prompting a generalization, uh, which I I don't want it to be like that. But what are some of your thoughts on on the reasons why people tend to fragment their perspectives rather than just being themselves and kind of having everything fused together? I think our culture tells people to do it. I, I think that, um, you know, it, business is business. It's not business. It's personal. The cliche. Well, I, I, I'm going to quote a chick flick here. Uh, and you've got mail. Um, An older the, chick flick. <laughs> yes. One of the best movies of all time. Um, in, in You've Got Mail, you know, Tom Hanks puts Meg Ryan out of business. And, and there's a scene where um he comes to her and he 
is trying to apologize and he says it wasn't personal and she says why does everybody say that it was personal to me Hmm. that like i sorry that's just a tangent i guess but (laughs) but i i think that we naturally are told you know when we are at school you do school things when you're at work you do work things you know, believe whatever you want as long as it doesn't enter the public sphere. We're, we're constantly reinforced um, everywhere around us in all of our culture. I, I, I think it's, it's reinforced subliminally dozens and dozens of times a day to, to do that uh, to yourself. So I know you're talking a bit about what the application of that looks like on your show, but can you kind of give a preview of um, what are some of the things that you've done? Some of the questions maybe that you ask ha- have asked yourself. Some of the uh, personal reflections that have happened, where you've then gone down that path of of um, integrating things together. What what are some of those first steps that you took? So so basically as I touched on before, that it was really like questions that started getting me thinking about politics to begin with. I really think that the key here is to never stop asking yourself questions. So many people are afraid of their own thoughts. Um, they, they, they do everything they can to avoid um, thinking about what they think. Um, mm. to, to everything we can to avoid being alone with our thoughts and just seeing where they lead. I, I would say that more than anything, just never stopping asking myself two questions more than any others. Um, number one is just why. <laughs> Unleash my inner two-year-old and just ask why, 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 why do I do this? You know. And, and never stop until you have an answer because there always is an answer. Uh, everything has a root. And, and the other question is, um, and then what? So I'm going to do something. Okay. And then what? And then what? And then what? And I think that asking those two questions will naturally lead to integrating things because you'll start to see, um, the connections. You'll start to see where everything links together. Interesting. Yeah, and and I think the power of this is this is not a political type of concept. It's not a political message. It's something that anyone, whatever they're involved with, can start to think about. And ever since, I mean, I've been listening and and thinking about it in my own life and identifying some of those places where things don't quite line up. And so I I think it's it's an interesting concept that you've um, that you have have stumbled upon. Uh, and so I don't know, maybe this is groundbreaking is what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to get out, but no, it's great. And, and I I think that your way of explaining it and, and, and really the, the great thing about it, um, I've talked before my, my favorite author, Simon Sinek, uh, has the book start with why. And he says that, um, the concept of starting with why, or that really the whole concept of his core message it was not some commercial exercise that he was like, I need to come up with a, a, a an idea for a book and then be able to sell the book. It was he was going through a very painful time and he started to really wonder why 
that sort of thing was happening. And that's how we stumbled upon it. I feel like, you know, maybe it wasn't a painful moment for you, but it was a moment where um, you just kind of woke up, which happens a lot for people. You just kind of wake up and, and realize things differently. And that led you to this uh, to this new understanding. So I think it's great. And, and I recommend that people go and listen to the show. Um, now, one last thing before we get into some final questions. You recently said that you were no longer a libertarian. Um, oh, yes. What is the I, I, I know you did a whole episode on it, but what's kind of the I brief did. story behind that ideological transformation? The the. Well, let me try to I, I just had this thought. Let me let me try to come up with one question that more than any other um led me to leave the the libertarian camp um it does have something to do about taxation because no okay no (laughs) no taxation is not theft Stephen. so (laughs) um but taxation may or may not be a sandwich i don't think we've very true settled that that is very true um so i think maybe it just goes back to why um so much of libertarianism is is based on an idea that at some point I realized I fundamentally disagreed with and that is the idea that um an individual is created with a a specific set uh, with the right to do anything they want as long as they don't infringe on anybody else's right to do what they want. That That's kind of the maybe classical that, yeah, yeah. summarization of it. And and as I was asking myself, you know, why do I think that this is true? Why do I have this position on this issue? I came to realize that I just fundamentally disagree that that that's what people that that is the natural state of man. I I don't agree that humans naturally exist with the rights to do these things. Um and and that kind of more than anything else pushed me away. Gotcha. Yeah, I I remember having a discussion um with a few people at outset about that idea of, of leave me alone. I, as long as I'm not hurting somebody, um, let me do what I want to do. And one of the avenues we went down just as a fun, uh, theoretical type of thing was, uh, sure. You may not be physically hurting someone. You may not even be directly, uh, getting in the way of someone else's free exercise, the free exercise of their rights. It's much harder to make the argument, though, that you are not hurting people from another kind of indirect standpoint, right? Like uh, there's a bunch of issues that you could bring it up with. But, you know, if if your actions are causing kind of this uh, this problem within society or within order, and even though you're not directly hurting somebody, there's still indirect effects that are perhaps hurting people around you or or something like that that's kind of where that argument falls apart a little bit 
Um, it's mm-hmm. very hard to, to, to definitively say I'm not hurting anybody um, because while on the surface that may be true or seemingly true, that's not always kind of when you look at it from other angles, that's not always quite the case. Um, is, yeah. that, is that kind of what you were thinking with it? Did I, did I get that right? Um, that I would say that's a part of it. You know, I take take seatbelt laws for instance, of uh, far, like lots and lots and lots of libertarians hate seatbelt laws. And they say, if I want to drive without a seatbelt, that's my business. Well, let's just say you are driving without a seatbelt, you get in a car accident, you are killed. Have you hurt anybody? Well, the accident wasn't your fault. So at first glance, it's, well, no, I only hurt myself. But you have the trauma involved with um, the 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 person the driver who killed you you know they now have trauma that they have to deal with you have police officers who now have to come and document everything and maybe they have trauma you know maybe it's a terrible terrible accident and they have trauma to deal with now too there are always costs to everything there's always risk to everything um and so so that's definitely part of it but i think i think that really the key in it it's you didn't quite hit on the key of what i keep saying drove me away but it's more like what caused me to decide to leave it, it, yeah libertarianism i i just realized that within myself i actually had a different set of assumptions there there are a few things assumptions that drive libertarian philosophy and libertarianism is as a whole a very pretty consistent philosophy when you agree with those assumptions and uh, assumptions that like you know people are either inherently good or inherently selfish Mm. that that is kind depending on who you ask that's what people will say well i think you know my convictions tell me that people are inherently evil and okay so people are created with you know these inalienable rights and the constitution just protects our natural rights that we already have do you honestly have the right to a trial by jury i'm not so sure about that you know so so it's it's those those assumptions realizing that I did not agree with those assumptions, everything just kind of naturally broke down. That, that makes sense. That's the other part of it. Um, where can libertarians send the hate mail? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Twitter no. at B green AZ. <laughs> um, please be kind. Um, well, cool. L- let's, let's go into some final questions. Um, I typically call these rapid fire, but that's just because I, I want to ask them quickly. You don't have to answer quickly. I just have, as you know, uh, a way of elongating questions and and having much like the lead into this rapid fire question. So anyways, the first one is, (laughs) what is one book that has influenced you the most? Um, So I'll give you the cliche answer and then I'll give you a non-cliche answer. The cliche answer is the Bible. Uh, I mean, far and away, the Bible has influenced me more than any other book. There's just no comparing, you know, the power of the living word of God. But 
setting that aside because I know that's not what you were going for. Um, if if I had to point to one book, I would probably say um, the Little Red Book of Wisdom by Mark DeMoss. No, no relation whatsoever to you know the Little Red Book <laughs> by. Mao. Good distinction, but, yes. But but yeah, the Little Red Book of Wisdom by Mark DeMoss. It, it's a it's a wonderful book. It's it's little and it's red, in case you couldn't guess. It, it talks about uh, wisdom for your professional life, wisdom for your personal life. My dad gave that book to me as I was finishing up high school, and um, it, it even aside from you know that sentimental like that it's a gift from my dad and and that he thought it would be helpful to me even if i had just stumbled upon it on my own it still would have been uh, an incredibly helpful and useful book i i would heartily you know recommend that to pretty much anybody um, i i i'll give you another one that it's not one of my biggest influences but it's one i think back to a lot and that is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I, everybody who's listening to this show probably knows of that book already. But uh, I, I find myself looping back to that in my interactions with people. I feel like it's a book that uh, pe- people know about it. I don't know if everyone's read it or even knows the concept of it. So, um, But those are, those are great recommendations. Um, what books do you give away? to people the most or, or would you give away? Cause I asked this one time and people say, oh, I don't really give books away, but would you give away? <laughs> I on, honestly, I would give away the, the little red book of wisdom. I, I, I have never, it, it's a very practical little book that really, um, it changed, you know, it may sound dramatic, but it really did kind of change the trajectory of my life. It, it it changed a lot of the way I thought about how what I was doing. Uh, there's a verse in in there's a there's a Bible verse that comes up in the book a lot. It's teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. Um, and there's a very emotional story in the book about the author's dad and that verse and I won't spoil it uh, go read it for yourself but but um, the the goal uh, what am I trying to say here just living our days with the awareness of you know how we live our days is how we live our lives of seeking to to make wise use of every moment um, like I talked about earlier, that that's kind of in a nutshell, not wasting a single moment that I didn't really think that way at all before I read the book. So I would, I'd give that one out. My goodness, that was a long winded answer. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, you, you take as long as you want. Would you say a big theme of that is like living intentionally? Is, is that, would that be part of it? Yeah, you know, uh, that's, yeah, the, so the book itself is um, more along the lines of practical tips, but as like an overarching message of the book, yeah. Cool. Um, If you had a method uh, by which to get out one message to millions of people, what is the one message you would want to get out to the world? 
I would say um, there is a God and we can know him and it is a joy to know him. I like it. Um, looking down the road 10 to 30 years, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if you're inclined to think that far ahead, um, but what are some future issues that you see coming up within the next 10 to 30 years? I think that um, a whole lot... Well, I'll, I'll give you a few issues and then I'll give you kind of an umbrella issue that I think is going to come up. I think we're going to hear a lot about the role of government in a safety net. I think we're going to hear a lot more about basic income. I think that the healthcare debate isn't going away anytime soon. I, I think um, a general realignment of what people see as the role of government is happening as our generation comes of age, because, you know, the, uh, the boomers were kind of the first generation to enjoy social security and Medicare in its fullest, um, to grow up expecting that. And, and now starting, you know, enjoying that we have grown up in an age where we don't expect anything from social security and Medicare. And yet we still somehow yeah, as a whole, our generation expects lots of things from the government. Um, and and I think that there's going to be a major shift um, in, in a more generalized way, because I think it's becoming pretty clear that Social Security and, and Medicare are just eventually going to go bankrupt unless there's a, uh, a shift in the way we do things. So I think it's only natural that that shift in conversation will happen. So that's kind of a big one. I really do think that um, I, I've gotten some pushback from from people about this, actually, Be, just not from, you know, Ted Cruz types. But but uh, I, I think that religious liberty is going to be a big issue. I I think that it naturally, you know, separation of church and state as it is understood in in America today, uh, keeping religion and faith completely 100% out of anything that's possibly construed as public. I think that it's only natural before something like that explodes. Um, so I, I think that's going to come up. And I honestly would not be surprised if, if um, issues of secession came up, you know, we have collect going on that, most people agree is not going to happen, yeah, but but it's not insignificant. It has happened before in our nation's history. And to say that it will happen again is not unreasonable. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I think it will happen. I would just say that I would not be surprised if it did. Hmm. Okay. I think that, that kind of the umbrella issue that's going to define the next um, generation of politics is one of identity and, and talking about what identity is. And we have all these um, varying debates talking about, you know, the most famous being sexual identity, gender identity, but, but um, 
as as we see democratic socialism on the rise, you know, our identity as workers in this economy, our identity as um, citizens in this government, I really think that it's all going to come down to the the key is going to be defining what that identity should look like. I think that the the next thirty years, the 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 people that history will judge the winners of the next thirty years are people that can articulate um, the identity of humans that is the most appealing. <laughs> If that makes sense. I don't know. That one's kind of weird. <laughs> we'll, we'll replay that one a couple of times. Yeah. That's good. Um, and then finally, I'm curious, what is your media consumption diet? So where do you get your news? How do you filter out um, what is important from what is uh, garbage or fake or uh, sensational, things like that? How, how do you approach information and news? So... I've heard, I've heard you doing these other interviews, and I've when when you had me on the show, I I knew I was going to be asked this question, and I'm I'm a little bit sheepish about it, but I get one hundred percent of my news from social media, I and and almost exclusively Twitter. I like the odds of me going on a news website are very slim. Every now and then, I'll get on my Apple TV and I'll watch the PBS News Hour. Um, I I like PBS news. Uh, sorry, you know libertarians. I'm just <laughs> like, oh. Also, let's just let's just add some more icing to the cake. The the, the postal service is good. Um, but <laughs> and and, but, you, and you like public radio too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, public so, public radio. Public transit. So mostly uh, Twitter. Fan. Where are you, are you getting it? Just from. I mean, not random people, but are you getting it from individuals or news agencies on Twitter? Or what are the sources? I so I follow like around a thousand people on Twitter, um, and I I do kind of a combination strategy. I I have my one feed where it's just you know the the fire hose of everybody, and then I have a list that I check a lot. That's you know about seventy five people. I follow a lot, a lot, a lot of journalists um, from right, left, and center. Um, I follow several publications. Uh, the Washington Post, I, I know I follow. I, uh, Despite all of the criticisms of late, I still follow The Federalist. I, I follow... Um, there's one... Oh, Jacobin. I follow Jacobin. Mm. That's that's a good one. To, Evan will appreciate that. Yeah. So I I like to fill my Twitter feed with, you know, it's mostly right wing because let's just face it, I am. But but I like to fill my Twitter feed full of opinions that confront me um, because that's what actually gets me thinking. So I I would say probably... Where I see my news the most is from, like, a few journalists on Twitter. I, that, most of the time, it's just, like, I happen to open up Twitter right as people are tweeting about stuff. Like, and so I end up seeing kind of the same people. I guess we just open Twitter at roughly the same times in our days. I don't know. So, really, as far as filtering is concerned, because... 
social media fills you full of any news you want. Um, I I just filter it by um, really asking what the what filtering. I I don't filter my inputs so much as I filter um, my own thoughts about it <laughs> and how like it. You know, so let let's just give. Let me see if I can articulate this by looking at the last couple weeks. So we've had hurricanes. We've had an 11-year-old kid mowing the White House lawn. We've had um, Sean Spicer at the Emmys. We've had Rocket Man. We've had a, a number of things recently. As far as occupying my brain space, I have done a lot of digging into the hurricanes and the stories surrounding that uh, human interest stories and otherwise um, as far as the other stuff, I've not clicked on a single link. Um, so, so I'll just keep scrolling if it's something I don't think that matters. <laughs> and if it's something I do think that matters, I'll click and read more and then read other articles on the subject. And, um, and and from those examples, it sounds like you you have you've been doing filtering correctly because the stories <laughs> that you mentioned as not important are not I, important. So it's good. I learned my lesson after 2012, um, and I in 2012 I I read Drudge every day, and I would follow all these pages on Facebook, and I would share Michelle Buckman rants and and. I, I learned all my lessons. I That wasn't good for me. That wasn't good for my Facebook friends. And so instead, I just, I like spending time on Twitter. So so here's a, here's a way I filter. If someone consistently makes me angry, I just unfollow them. Like, I just don't deal with it. Or I'll mute them if it, if it comes to that. Like, I, so, so I guess I do filter my inputs in that way. But I, as long as it's something that's like important to people's lives, Twitter shows it to me. And then if it's something that's not important to people's lives, Twitter still shows it to me, but I just scroll past it. <laughs> gotcha. So it's, it's this very manual kind of, kind of go as you will. No, I like it. That's good. You've learned your lesson and most people still haven't even after... Something like 2016, because um, yes, I I have done massive unfollows on Twitter. Uh, I had someone re like they'll retweet people like Joe Walsh or someone, uh, and they'll do it not ironically. And that's yeah. when you that's when you got to go. Okay, time to time to rethink this follow. Um, so I get it. That's great. Um, well, I we we've been going for a while here, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, there's two things I want before I let you okay. off. The, the first one is, do you have a request or an ask of people listening right now? Uh, yeah, actually. I would ask everybody listening to um, block off one evening. If you can't do one full evening, then then we'll, we'll just say an hour. Um to completely block that off 
to turn off every electronic device you own and go sit somewhere that you can think, whether that's the shower or outside or, you know, driving around aimlessly. Uh, go somewhere that that you can think and sit there and ask yourself, what do I believe and why? What am I doing with my life now? And then what? Those two questions, why and then, then what? And spend at minimum an hour. I mean, it'd be awesome if you could take a whole week off everything, but I know that's just not realistic. Um, an hour and evening and, and, and ask that of yourself. And I think you'll like the results. I love that. I think you're onto something there. That's really cool. Um, where can people, if they want to connect with you on social media, where can people do that? Best place is Twitter. Um, I usually point people to at VGreenAZ, which is my boring Twitter account. Um, the, the exciting Twitter account is at BenjEngEng, and that's just B-E-N-J-E-N-J-E-N-J. Um, You're not making it easy for people to find you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. It <laughs> Just don't think about it too hard and you'll get it right. BenjEngEng. <laughs> but that I, I typically don't point people to that Twitter account as, as even though it's the bigger one by far. Uh, well, neither one is big, so I don't know if I can say by far, but, but because I tweet so much junk there and I've tweeted so many things that even I don't agree with, you know, two hours after I tweeted them. So, but, but you know, either, either one of those places is, is the best way to get me is Twitter or, you know, listen to second look, you'll get me there too. Absolutely. Well, Binge, thanks so much for coming on my show this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you one more time to Benjamin for coming on the show. And thanks to all of you for listening. Whether you're a new listener or a returning listener, I'm so happy that you're here. Um, and hopefully you enjoyed this episode and you've been enjoying this podcast. If you have been enjoying it, please rate, subscribe, and review wherever uh, on whatever application you get your podcasts. You can see the other podcasts on our network by going to outsetmagazine.com slash podcast. Um, and you can connect with the Outset Network at Outset Network on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Stephen underscore Perkins. That's Stephen with a PH, by the way, very important. Uh, or Facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins. Uh, thanks again for listening to this week. And until we see each other and we talk to each other next week, take care and God bless you.